Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. On today's episode, we're talking about the greatest conference on classical education that anyone has ever been to or will go to. Oh, oh gosh, let me think. <laughs> what would that be? The Memoria Press <laughs> Teacher Training Conference. Oh! July, what, 13th through 15th? Mm. That sounds right. Probably next week when you're listening to this or maybe in two weeks, depending on when we get it out. It's Wednesday through Friday of that week that, that, and you should be here. But before we get there, we're going to talk all about it, where it came from, why you should come. Before we get there, Paul, what have you been reading recently? What I've been trying to read on my lunch breaks, which are few and far between, (laughs) is Coral Island Mm. by Ballantyne. I've read that. I've never heard of it. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. one of the great Robin Sonod's uh, ship, shipwreck mm-hmm. stories. Oh, those make me claustrophobic. <laughs> what? This is like the... There's shipwreck. too much sunshine and fresh air for her. <laughs> I can't I, imagine I being say, stuck someplace. These are three boys marooned <laughs> on a on a shipwrecked on an island, and they're just having the time of their mm. lives. It's a wonderful... And one of the interesting things in that book is that the sort of lead boy... Um, he knows how to do things because he's read them in books. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite fun. Nice. Mm-hmm. Is it a children's book? It is. Mm-hmm. Paul, let me ask you a follow-up. You get marooned on an island. Yes. What do your first 24 hours look like? Um, I think... Because uh, I feel like of the four of us, if any of us got marooned on an island, you're definitely my odds-on favorite to survive. <laughs> in terms I would of like be curled if it was up one in a fetal position. Us, Number one, I'm going to find shelter or okay. make shelter, which is what the... I mean, these boys I mean, these boys do exactly what they ought to do, <laughs> which is they, they get some shelter, they figure out how they're, what they're going to do for food, and then little by little, they start exploring to find out what else is on the island they can take advantage of. It's like Swiss Family Robinson. Mm-hmm. Well, Tony, what have you been reading recently? I'm reading a French book in translation, <laughs> not in French, um, called Fresh Water for Flowers, hmm. or I think in other translations it's called Water for Flowers. It was the hmm. book of the year for Italy in 2021 or something. I don't know. Um, but I'm reading it because... I heard it recommended on a podcast and thought it looked interesting. It's about a woman that is a care caretaker of a cemetery mm. and all, you know, the people that come through and and it's got her personal life story and it's modern lit, which I don't read a lot of. So, so but it's, is it good? It is very good, yes. Well, I drove to Pittsburgh last week to go to ACCS. And so I had six hours in the car by myself, two ways, which was great. So I listened to uh, East of Eden both ways. And then when I had a little bit of time in the hotel, I also read it. So I have about five and a half hours left because mm. it's, it's a long one. Um, and I think that puts me in part four of six, I think. Um, but really good. And I think one thing that makes Steinbeck particularly interesting is it, this is true both in Grapes of Wrath and East of Eden, but there's like the philosophizing side of him that is commenting almost in an esoteric way on the movement of people in the United States and the forces that mm-hmm. that move them. But I think he also has a knack for drama and action. 
like things mm. happen in his novels Absolutely. that are surprising and interesting and keep it moving. And they really do. And so <laughs> I've enjoyed it on that level. I think at this point I would say that I've enjoyed grapes of wrath more mm. to this point. Well, maybe you'll get me to read Grapes of Wrath. Have you However, not read it? I have not read oh, Grapes you sh- of Wrath. If you like Deast of Eden, you will love Grapes of Wrath, except it's very depressing. It's really sad. I can't say mm-hmm. that East of Eden was really Not edifying, depressing, right? But I am curious to where it's going. And right? I think it could like it could transcend the level of Grapes of Wrath depending on where it Where lands. it goes. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Oh. Have you read East of Eden, Martin? Mm-hmm. Read it uh, three or four years ago. Yeah. yeah. No, I, lo- I love Steinbeck. I really think he's not talked about enough in terms of, of an, uh, an American author. And we still talk, talk more about Hemingway and Faulkner and those. Right? I, mean, I, think, I think Steinbeck is much more American in many ways than those other authors are. And he's, he's writing about America exclusively. Uh, and, and, and some of his, his minor novels, too, are just so pleasant to read. Uh, Tortilla Flats and Cannery Row and some of those things. And having grown up in California and, and been to Monterey and I, I, there is, there is this California, I don't know what you call it, not feeling, uh, California dreaming. No, uh, it, it, there is, there is this thing about California that if you, you would only know if you live there, an atmosphere that, that can be evoked. And I think Steinbeck just totally gets it. I agree with that. And also travels with Charlie, where in the, I think 1966, he just takes off in his car and he goes, drives all the way across the country because by that time he's living on the East Coast and he drives all the way across the country and it's the stories of all the things that happen and you get this snapshot of America mm-hmm. at that time before everything changes. Mm. Um, and and it's it's just this wonderful thing and it's it's funny, it's like a lot of his books, all of them have a little bit of this sort of uh, world sorrow in them. Um, and and that has that too, particularly when he goes back, I think it's to Seattle or someplace. It's completely changed from when he had been there. And You know, that feeling you get when you go back to find something and it's not the same anymore. And he just, he just captures all that kind of stuff so well. Shane, I'm curious, did you ever, sometimes when I'm driving by myself and listening I ever, every once in a while I have to stop and, and do something else because it's kind of lulling me to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you able to listen to this straight through? You know, I did, except for uh, I, I was able to power through and stay only on on that. Sometimes I'm tempted to like, oh, I'll just do an hour or something else. But I, wa- I stayed full six hours on the audiobook. But on the way back on Saturday, I was trying to get home before Jack's bedtime. Uh. And I like literally had like a 30 minute window. Like if I stopped... And I was about to fall asleep like two thirds of the way through. And so I stopped and got a drink with some caffeine in it, but I still made it home in time for oh, bedtime. So he could have stayed up maybe a few minutes for yeah, you. Maybe. Or maybe yeah, not. That, that schedule is strict. I know but. when you get them off, it's terrible. <laughs> you keep them up late. They don't sleep later. That's true. Martin, what have you been reading recently? Well, a number of things. Uh, we were talking before the show about uh, the three musketeers. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, commented to Paul that I, it, 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 in many ways, it's an ethical train wreck. Uh, and, and I, I had been able to distill that whole problem, I think, down to one word, which was French. Mm. Um, a lot of French novels <laughs> seem to be a little, uh, uh, wild in that regard. So, uh, and it's, it's quite confusing. I, it's not like 
you know, uh, is his other novels that we've talked about here. Um, the Three Musketeers you find more confusing than The Count of Monte Cristo? Oh, by far, yes. Yeah, the oh. Count of Monte Cristo is much clearer. The, the Count, Count of Monte, Monte Cristo is at least one storyline. Is the Three Musketeers? Yeah, there's all these little the diversions that are going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. All yeah the there's time diversions the that go on. Yeah, and that so I you're wondering, now, where it's are been a we while again? And who's Madam? What's her name? And why is he in love with her? And why is he in love with somebody else in the next chapter? Let me ask you this. You're talking about it being an ethical dilemma mm-hmm. of a book but you don't feel like that about sabatini i mean it's the same thing it's, I, I think there's a morality behind sabatini that is not there well i think you'll find the morality i think dumas always writes with morality uh, well, I think I think so. you're gonna find I, I, it you're it gonna maybe, find it okay maybe it culminates in something that makes sense of all the other things but the the um ethical latitude that's given to these characters in terms of dealing with people in regard to money, dealing with people in regard to sexuality, dealing with people uh, in regard to just, just honesty is, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, that's a pretty wild ride. Get to the end. I want to know. Okay. I want to know. Yeah. The maybe ends. again, it maybe it redeems itself in the end. But yeah. Um, and then I'm uh, reading a couple of nonfiction books right now. Um, uh, Personal Knowledge by Michael Polanyi. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm reading David uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. And I just had this, you know, when you're reading something, particularly if you're like you're reading more than one book and you come to this, 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 this revelation. And I realized that what Kahneman was talking about, I'm talking about the two systems of thinking we have. One is the immediate and intuitive, the one we use to make quick decisions. And system two, he calls where, where, where it's this more rational, analytic thing where we really dig down into something. And then I'm reading Polanyi, who's writing 60, 70 years before Kahneman is even, and he had the exact same insight, uh, talking about a, a subordinate uh, thinking and and focal thinking. And it turns out it's the same insight and they're coming at it from two different directions. And it just explains a lot about how we think. Um, and, uh, and it really bears on the issue of basic skills training and how you have to, you have to really analyze like phonics and the letter sound correspondences and the same thing going on in arithmetic, the cal- the, you know, calculation aspect of it and and that's all part of that system two in Kahneman's thinking and you have to make it a part of system one to make it intuitive immediate so that you're not thinking about it anymore really because when you make intuitive decisions you're not really thinking about them you're just, boom you do them and you need to make those those you know your your arithmetical procedures you got to make them part of that so that you can do the higher level stuff more easily arithmetic so, first arithmetic first yeah. <laughs> you know tanya uh later on when people are studying martin his yes. body and his life um it'll be like in lingu- what is this organ i've <laughs> never seen this it'll before. be like in linguistics where they talk about the cognitive turn this is martin's cognitive turn you know people would be like after he discovered michael polani and hmm. oh, oh yeah. okay. no i've had okay. i've had too many of them to <laughs> this one to make any particular <laughs> Martin's cognitive abilities are going like this all the time goes, we're, we're, in we're, here, we're. out here we'll forget it next week I mean well and I was thinking about this just the other day you know how you you will read a book particularly a nonfiction book which you've marked up and you've and you'll read and go I don't remember any of this and you're thinking well I surely I marked it and I did right. all that I was thinking about it it must no gone uh, <laughs> so right. you have to but the funny thing you, to me is when you and I were reading the same book and we had marked 
totally different things. Like you and I did it not. It would have disturbed mark. me if we hadn't. Tanya, we uh huh. We literally had not. It was something for the schools division. It mm. was a, one of those books we were reading for the schools division, and <laughs> Martin would say, "I've underlined this," and I would say, "I haven't," and then I would say, "I've underlined this," and Martin would say, "That's not important." <laughs> <laughs> but you know what is important that you both agree about. The teacher training conference. Oh, so yes. I want to ask nice, you nice. all three, where did this come from? Who had the first idea to say, you know what? Like we should invite tons of people to come to our campus. I can answer that question. All right, let's hear it. So years, like 20 some years ago, we were in the, that old church building, that old little Catholic church building by where the warehouse is now. It's not there anymore. Martin had started the online academy, and so it was Cheryl Lowe, and Brian sat beside her, and then I sat over behind them like our backs were to each other, and then Martin sat by me, and he would teach his online classes, and at that point, it was all like typing. You weren't, there were no voices, so it wasn't too disturbing. People don't realize how primitive that was. It was text chat. Right. And so whenever we needed to have a meeting we would just flip our chairs around and sit in that little circle in the middle of our desks. And and I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember the year Cheryl said, I want to have a teacher training conference. I want it to be different than all the other ones that I've been to because I want this to be down-to-earth, practical, this is how you teach, this is how you use the curriculum. I want it to be specific to teaching and not esoteric and so we decided we would do it but then we didn't so then when we got the new building at Vitito and and we had a meeting in the conference room we did it again and she said it again I want to have a a conference so then we were at this campus only it was like we hadn't done any renovations and so we were in the cafeteria, but it was not renovated at all. And so Martin was speaking. Iris Hatfield was doing um, a session on cursive, and she would try to show her PowerPoint. Brian was running the sound in the video. And Iris, <laughs> I remember she just kept pointing the pointer in the wrong direction. Like, I guess you have to point it at the projector, but she was pointing it at this and the whole time my phone was blowing up because the restrooms couldn't handle the infrastructure of having like 30 people. And so so the restrooms kept overflowing. So while all of this is going on, I'm dealing with the maintenance guy trying to keep the restrooms running. I mean, it was just like 30 people, but it was we were exhausted. It was like doing it for the 500 that you do it for now. Because we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. It was just, you know, it was really a hot mess. I can't remember how we ate. We must have brought, oh, I think we brought Mark's, I think we brought barbecue in. Mm. I don't well, remember. Well, the first couple of years I was involved, it was always Mark's and Jason's. We just kept yeah, we'd going back and forth. That's right. That's yeah. right. So uh, what's interesting about that description, though, is all the seeds of what we do now were st- are still there. So, yes. Paul... Maybe describe to people listening who have not been to our teacher training conference what it is now, what people would expect when they come for those two days or three days if they come for pre-conference. Well, you have each day one or two plenary talks, which are going to be your more general 
uh, esoteric, philosophical Mm -hmm. kind of talks, but the majority of the day is dedicated to workshops, which, you know, you'll have a track, which is your second grade workshop. And so a second grade teacher can come in there and they're going to go subject by subject over the course of two days, everything that a second grade teacher is going to be teaching. Um, and you know, they'll be giving very, very down to earth tips of this is what we do for discipline, or this is how we, you know, this is how we make sure that the penmanship is is not being um, let go after they've learned it in kindergarten, first grade, and all that kind of thing. You know, all the way up to you know high school, where you might spend in a, you know the the once you get into upper school, it's broken down more by subject because m- most schools have you know a teacher that specializes in math or a teacher that specializes in classical studies or something, and you can spend you know two days you know, or one day doing literature, one day doing writing or whatever it is. And you really get to spend a couple of days with a a, a homogenous group of people that are all teaching that subject to that grade. But our teachers are the ones presenting. So they're presenting what they do in their classrooms. But But then you've got, you know, 15 other people in the room that are either all about to teach or have taught that as well. And so at this point, like early on, it very much was everybody just listening to the one teacher that teaches at Highlands presenting. And now you will get a lot of good feedback from the other teacher saying, well, this is what I had to do at my school to help, you know, you know, my students do it. And you get actually a lot of great crowdsourcing ideas, you know, that, that build on top of that. At the beginning we didn't really have, like we were training our teachers too, what it needed to be. And so they would attend. There weren't near as many of them, but Cheryl would stand up there and talk about every single subject. So it really was the same. Like she would go subject to subject to subject and talk about this is how this is taught. This is why we teach the way we do. This is our philosophy about this subject. (laughs) She was like a one woman show. But now we have loads of master teachers who can provide that help. And you didn't talk about the Wednesday. I did not. And the difference. Yeah. How did, so how did Wednesday come about and then tell me what it is? Well, there was the need for, so if you're trying to compress a year's worth of material effectively and how to teach it down into two days, you, you may only have an hour for Latin. Right. And so there were certain subjects that we realized the teachers need a day to really just go through the content of that subject um, for that grade. And so we started offering, you know, a whole day in Latina Christiana. And so that day is dedicated to going over very quickly the content that they're the whole year's worth of content they're going to teach. So they have the big overview so that not only are they going to get how they teach it, in, in the two days of the conference, but they've been given the content on that Wednesday. And so over the years, we've offered more and more things on that Wednesday, which are content driven rather than like Latin classical composition, the things that are, that are harder. Sure. So Martin, there are several other classical conferences now, and I've just been at two of them in the last two weeks. And <laughs> you can see the growth of the movement by just being at these conferences where they have a thousand, 1500 people at them representing many, many schools. Where does the Memorial press teacher training fit in? And what do you think makes our 
teacher training conference important or valuable for schools? Well, <clears throat> I'm not, and I love many of those conferences, um, but there's so much going on and, and there are a lot of different opinions in terms of how to do things. And I think for some people that can be a little confusing. Uh, here there is a central pedagogical philosophy and there is a, you know, pretty well-organized approach to what we're doing and why we're doing it. I mean, I think we, we, we in one sense, we cover the bases. In another sense, it's all consistent. Um, our, you know, we've put a lot of work, uh, Tanya in particular, into um, making this curriculum that we have coherent and, um, and making it so that every part reflects something of the whole we're trying to get to. And so I think that comes across in our conference that this, uh, this whole philosophy of education that undergirds what we do and how that works itself out <clears throat> very concretely in how you teach it. So Warren, you've been doing these conferences for a long time, specifically ours, <laughs> uh, years and years and years. <laughs> uh, okay. I think you could stop there. Um, what do you have any like memorable moments or funny things that happened or enjoyable things about the conference that I'm, I'm looking for a story here from the conference and not that you remember anything, but I'm just hoping that something stands out to you. Well, um, we're just always glad when he shows up for yeah. his plenaries. Yeah. Wait, well, did you actually miss a plenary once or not? No, but he's cut it close. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, I would have a lot to say on that Shane, and, and it would be helpful to the show, but I just can't remember anything. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think that actually does raise a good point that at the end it's of the week, we are way so exhausted. We don't, we, it's hard to actually remember what happens during these weeks. They are quite a blur. Well, they are quite a blur. I mean, it is, it is interesting um, over those many, many years, which I don't remember uh, that it, the, the, just the growth of the classical education movement has just been astounding. And, and I, I, you know, I tell people, I just told somebody about that earlier today. I can hardly remember that. Um, just how, 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 how amazing it is that this movement is, is the one that is the only thing in education that's growing. I mean, mm. charter schools as a kind of school that's growing because of all the privatization that's really happening now as a result of COVID. But in terms of how you do education, classical education is the only thing with any energy in it. And, and so uh, so you see that in the movement, there's just a lot of people, there's people outside the movement who are noticing the movement. And when you go there and there's exhibit booths and all that, you see people who you're wondering, gosh, uh, even they're here now. Um, and you just didn't see that years and years ago. Um, I have a story. <laughs> all right, let's hear it. This is what I was waiting Can for. Can we move along? No, it's, it's a good one. You'll remember this. So one year, Cheryl decided she was going to do a plenary on, and you may have been here, on the 10 reasons, oh, yes. the 10 <laughs> reasons for studying the pagan classics. <laughs> and so she, she was writing it, you know, for days. And then she came up to me one day, she came up to my desk and she said, okay, I read this aloud to myself last night and it took two and a half hours. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, you have 45 minutes. So you're going to need to cut. So off she went. So the next day she came back and she said, okay, I've cut it. It's down to an hour and a half. I said, <laughs> nope, you have 45 minutes back to the drawing board. Never heard another thing about it. She gets up there. She gets to point number three. 
it's been an hour. Somebody speaking after her. It may have been Jim Selby, uh, but she was going way into their time. So Martin keeps going back and forth. So Brian's back in the back running the camera. And Martin's like, is she going to stop? And I'm like, well, she's uh, she's got seven more points. <laughs> no, as I recall it, I'm in the kitchen on the side of where Cheryl's speaking. And I re- and I have, I had... And you're the I MC. was the one. You're the I one was the one who was running the conference yeah. early on when they were mm-hmm. really, really well run. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah. You all probably don't remember that, <laughs> right? But, but but we definitely don't. <laughs> we definitely don't remember that. Uh, but I but I would always you know because this is this is not uncommon for speakers to do this. It's just that hers was going along. <laughs> it's gonna go. And so I'm I'm I you just you just have to sit there and calculate. Okay, I can shave some time off here, and I can shave some time off here. And you come into the kitchen. You're she's going way too long. Brian said, "Stop her." <laughs> Yeah, we and I Brian said, put I said, Martin in charge of stopping her. So I, you know, yeah. But so so she got three done, and Martin went up and stopped her. So then we get all these complaints from people after the sure. conference was over because they wanted to know her other seven points, right. and we had cut her off. It was like we were to blame. We'd still be there now. Well, you but, know. Then, but then, but hold on. There's there's another ending to this story. I was actually just on our website looking through articles that Cheryl wrote. And we turned that into a 10-article series. Yeah. That's right. And the classical teacher, that it lasted two and for, a half years. It did. It went on forever. <laughs> and I think that's when we decided we were never going to run a series like that again. That, yeah. yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> so that's my story. That's story. I'm sure there are other Martin stories. Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm, I'm going to give you all a story this year because I'm talking about the eight goals of classical education. <laughs> and I don't care if it takes me an hour to get through two goals. I'm finishing all eight. You're going to have oh, to drag no. me off the oh, stage. No, 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 you're not. Because, oh, yes, you're the one in charge. So yeah. who's going to drag you off the stage? Right. That would be Martin and I. We will each go grab an elbow and haul you off. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a really fun time. You think? And I've enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, you should sign up. If you can't come personally, we are doing it virtually. So you can sign up virtually. And I think we should say this is also for homeschoolers. You know, the homeschoolers are welcome to come to the teacher training part. Obviously, they have their own on Monday, Tuesday, which is dedicated directly to them in every way. But really, Wednesday through Friday, the content workshops could be helpful to, to them also and would be. Even though they're classroom oriented, it's still the same content taught in the same way. Absolutely. So I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always... I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.